Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Grave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. All right, so I ran out of my normal tea this morning, so I went back there and got lemon ginger, so I should be extra spicy today, so I can feel it. All right, God is so good. So today I want to talk about discovering God's abundant nature, and it's really important to know the nature of God, to know the true nature of God, because our belief about his nature is the prism in which we function. How we view God, how we view his nature, will be how we view the world around us. It's how we interact with those around us. It's even how we perceive ourselves. How we view God's nature will be how we perceive ourselves. And it will also be how we approach God himself. So all this is a reflection of how we view his nature. Can you see why it's important to know his true nature? To know that he is a good father, that he is, a, that he is abundant in good things. This is why God desires a personal relationship with his kids. He desires a personal relationship so that we can know his nature for ourselves. Right? I know when I was in third grade, there was a scary teacher, so I heard. Do you remember when you had to look in in the newspaper to see? Maybe they still have it. You looked in the newspaper to see who your teacher was? So I remember just praying and saying, please, Jesus, not miss a motto, not miss a motto. And on that day, I looked at the newspaper and it was Miss, Mrs., Miss, I don't remember, Miss Amato, and terror hit me. Because <laughs> I've heard stories, right? I've heard how hard she was, how mean she was, how nasty she was. Now, she, had a, she did have a temper, but we'll just, we'll just let that one slide a little bit. But I will say that was the best teacher I ever had. And all the fear came from stories I heard that people have said. Can you see why knowing God's true nature for yourself is so important? Because you can hear tons of stories, right? You can hear people's perspectives. And that is why God desires for us to have a personal connection with him one-on-one. So that is not that we just hear stories about him. We actually know him for ourselves. Psalms 38, I'm sorry, Psalms 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Now notice it did not say, oh, hear how good the Lord is. Didn't say that. 
It says, taste and see how, or taste and see that the Lord is good. So it's not saying, hey, rely on your pastor to tell you how good he is. Rely on the worship team to sing these songs of his goodness. Rely on that. Now, what does it command us to do? To taste and to see or taste and experience that the Lord is good. So it's a command to personally experience the goodness of God. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking that taste is one of the most personal sensory experiences that we have. You know, someone can say something to you. You might see something all far in a distance, but taste is really personal. Why? You're putting, you're putting it in you. Do you see the difference? So there's two stages of experience. The first one is the taste of it. You know, at Thanksgiving, your grandma makes something and she gets a big spoon of it and she sticks it in your face, right? Taste it, you know? But then there's the other part of tasting or the experience of it is the nutritional things that you get from it, right? So when, when it says to taste and see, it's not just a short-term thing that, that you taste the flavor of something, but it's actually receiving the nutrition from it. Now, I know that we would like to live on donuts every day. But guess what? You would start feeling it, wouldn't you? And you know what? We don't like uh, kale very much. We like Jake kale, but uh, we don't like kale very much. But if we start putting good things in our body, guess what starts happening? You start feeling it. So do you see the two stages of experiencing, of tasting? So let's talk about God's good, abundant nature. And this is actually something that God showed me maybe three, four years, or he started showing me. And this, this truth right here is something that I try to live my life on. Whenever I hear stories, right? Whenever I hear news reports, whenever I hear anything, does it fit into the nature of God? His good, abundant nature. James 1.7 Say with me, every Every. good gift and every Every. perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So James James clearly states that if it's good, say good. Good. If it's perfect, say perfect. perfect. It's from above and perfect in the scripture means wanting nothing necessary for completeness. So everything that you need to mature and to grow in Christ, it comes from above. So his nature is being revealed that he is good and perfect. A a, a lot of ways, a way that I like to um, uh, give an example of this is it's signed, right? Have you ever gotten a package in the mail? I'm sure a lot of you now get packages in the mail, right? FedEx. How many of you know your FedEx guy personally, right? Actually, our FedEx guys bring treats for our dogs. So, yeah, our dog is very happy with our FedEx guy. So if you got a package 
And it was from something that you didn't want to receive, right? It's signed. It has the address on it, right? So when we receive something, is it signed by good and perfect? Because what does it say? Every good and perfect gift is from above. Let's look at another example of God's desire to give good gifts. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. You parents. (laughs) Now this is Jesus speaking. If your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. Unless your love language is sarcasm. (laughs) Right? He says, of course not. So if you sinful people, so what is it talking about? You imperfect people. Our father in heaven is perfect. Perfect. Right? So he's talking about imperfect people. He's talking about uh, selfish, sinful people. Another version will even say evil. If you sinful people know how, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, if you know how to do it, then what does he say? How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Even in our imperfection, we still know how to give good gifts to our children. And Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly father who is perfect in all his ways? Come on. Give good gifts to those who ask him. Like I said, this is something that I really try to live my life. Hey, I'm not perfect. But I really try to live my life. Whatever comes my way, whatever I experience, I know that my God is good. And I know that he is abundant in good things, meaning he is not stingy with what he has. And the truth is, God has a monopoly on what he supplies. He has a monopoly on what he supplies. You can't get it anywhere else. Because when it talks about the fruit of the spirit, how many of you can drum up the peace, of, the peace that passes your own understanding? Meaning you have a peace beyond your own thinking. How many of you can drum that up? You can't. It's something that is a fruit of connection with the Holy Spirit. So he has a monopoly on what he supplies. But let me tell you something. He's not withholding from you. Are you guys following me? He gives it abundantly. Actually, I forget where it is, maybe, uh, you know, but it talks about he cannot be served with human hands for he needs nothing, right? He actually is the source of life and he set it up that way so that we could find him. Come on. See, a lot of times church gets where we need, I'm not saying we need to position our life to be a reflection of who he is. But a lot of times it's like, God needs you to do this. He he needs you to do it. Actually, he needs nothing. He's actually the source of my life. And from that, yes, there is a fruit of expression where I actually step out and do good works. But the truth is, he doesn't need anything from me. Are you guys following me? So this verse continues, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What is that saying? So it says it's signed. What is it signed by? If it's good and it's perfect, it's from him. 
And then it goes on to say, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What does that mean? It means it's sealed. How many of you guys want to accept a package? How many of you guys want to open up a milk carton and realize that it was opened? How many of you guys are drinking that? Probably not, <laughs> right? I remember this one thing. It didn't last real long, but on social media, people would go into the grocery store and open up the ice cream and lick the ice cream and put the thing back on. Yeah. So what is this saying? With no variation or shadow of turning, it's saying that it's sealed. It's sealed. Meaning he is consistent in what he does. He doesn't have good days and he doesn't have bad days. He does not change. So if it's good and it's perfect, it's from him. But then we also have this expectancy that it's sealed. He does not have off days. He does not have bad days or good days. He is the source of life. So this is important because it gives us a confident hope and assured expectancy. So we just read James 1.17, which was, can you put it up again, Aiden? James 1.17. Every good, and, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What's the verse before it? Can you put James 1.16 up? What does it start out with? The suspense is building right now. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So even back then, people, people, put assumptions on God that came against his character. And James says, do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above. So James is confronting a lie. He's saying, do not be tricked into believing a lie about our father's character. If it's good and it's perfect, it's from Above. A lot of times you hear things, someone, someone gets sickness and God's teaching you something. What are they saying? This has come from above. But James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Where there is no variation or shadow of turning. What does that mean? When James said it at that point, it's Still true now. Come on. Hebrews 11, 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So believing in God's nature as a rewarder is a mandated expression of our faith. Are you guys getting this? Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he's there, that he's present, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Think about this. A mandate of your faith is to believe that he rewards those who seek him. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. 
And in verse 13 and 14 in James, James addresses this idea that God will inflict evil upon someone in order to prove his character and steadfastness of their faith. James 1.13, when tempted, no one should say, what? can we say that again? When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. James 1.16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. I know you've heard it preached differently from the pulpit, but what does the word of God say? John 10, 10, the thief comes only, say only, to steal, to kill and destroy. I, who is speaking here, Jesus, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And other versions more abundantly or to overflowing. But God likes to teach us through lack. That's what we hear. God likes to teach you through lack. But what did he say? The enemy, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus makes this definitive statement that this is what the fruit looks like when it comes from the enemy. Do you have things within your life that are stealing from you? That are bringing destruction Whose name is on that? What did Jesus say? The thief. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So this is what I have come to bring you so that you will know it's from me. This is the type that my life produces in your life. Love, joy, peace, so on, so right? This is what it looks like. And we still got people saying, God's trying to take you out (laughs) to teach you something. He's trying to destroy your business. But what does Jesus say? Whose name is on it? If it's stealing and killing and destroying, whose name is on it? Now, there's a lot of attention in the church there, or there's a lot of attention and value in the church given to our ability to learn from pain, from suffering, from lack, and difficult situations. The truth is that every situation we face has the power to shape us. I'm going to say that again. Every situation we face has the power to shape us. That is why we are in control of what we allow in our vessel. All right? So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what are the lessons we want to shape us? Who has control of that? You do. Have some, has something ever happened in your life and you said, I will not become bitter? What are you doing? Say, I will not learn from this lesson of betrayal. Right? Are you guys following me? Who had control of that? You did. <laughs> 
But how many of you made the mistake and took the bait? What fruit did that produce? It produced more killing, stealing, and destroying. The enemy has one goal in mind, and it's right there in that scripture. So will the lesson be in the problem or the solution? Will the lesson be in the problem or the solution? Because remember what I said, everything has the power to shape you. But what will you allow to shape you? What will you allow? Scripture says, above all else, guard your heart. For out of it flows the issues of life. Another version will say, for out of it, it will determine the course of your life. So if we allow the enemy to have access to areas of our heart, where will it lead? I can tell you where it will lead. It tells us in John 10, 10. So will the lesson be in the lack or in the abundance? What do you think God's teaching us? In the lack or the abundance? Will the lesson be in the pain or the restoration and healing? Like I said, people can hurt you pretty badly, but is that the lesson that you want to learn? What, is the, what do you think the kingdom lesson is? The kingdom lesson is healing and res- restoration and forgiveness. Do you see the difference? Everything has the power to shape you, but what will I allow in my life to shape me? The truth remains, God is able to reveal his good nature in any situation. I'm going to probably say it a couple times. So if they're not from God, why do they happen, right? So things in life are going to happen. Actually, scripture talks about it, that there will be trials and tribulations. There will be persecution. But in all those, it always says, but in me, in me, it's talking about Jesus, in me, you will have peace. Be of good cheer. What? Be of good cheer? When all hell is breaking loose, in me, you will have peace. In me, you will be of good cheer. Come on. I didn't say it was easy. I just said it was true. (laughs) But I will say this, and I've kind of talked about this last time I preached on Thanksgiving. Not on Thanksgiving, but I preached on Thanksgiving. You know what I'm saying? Okay. (laughs) Not on the day of Thanksgiving. Yeah, okay. All right. When I taught on being thankful, is that better? That you have to work it. It it comes from consistent behavior. That's why it says rejoice sometimes. Now it says rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. (laughs) In everything, give thanks. And then what does it say? For this is the will of God, or this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And without preaching the same thing, sometimes we're all, God, what do you want me to do? do Where do you want me to go? Actually, it says it in the word. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. To rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. But that's another sermon. You guys can listen to that at another time. All right, so Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Okay. So what is this saying? It doesn't say that God brings all things into your life. 
is saying that in these things, guess what? If you love him and you're called according to his purpose, how will it turn out for the good of those? So God can take any situation and turn it around for good, even if we don't understand it. Hey, listen, like I said, these are things that I've had to work through because I've experienced some things that you're like, this is a struggle, right? And you want to kind of look and God, God, what are you doing? And say, wait a second, God is good. Every good and perfect gift is from above. This is stealing and this is killing. So I do not receive this package. Are you guys seeing that? So you got to work it a little bit. Philippians 4.13. We all know this one. It all hangs up in our our Bible study. (laughs) I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the context is, what is he talking about? I know how to be abased. Let me just say, I don't, I don't really need a lexicon for that, but it's not good. <laughs> and remember, Paul is writing this from prison, from a jail. And he says, I know how to be abased. Then what does he say? I know how to abound. And the thing that I, I've taught on this before, but something that jumped out to me a little bit differently, that tells me, It takes two different approaches to do those two different things. If we want to abase well, we have to approach it differently than abounding well. Okay? So to be abased, to abound, to be full and to be hungry, to be without lack and to suffer need. So why could Paul boldly declare that he could do all things through Christ to strengthen him? Because Paul's ability was dependent upon Christ's sufficiency. Okay, I'm going to say that again. How could Paul do this? Because Paul's ability was dependent upon Christ's sufficiency. Actually, in the Amplified, it says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am self-sufficient. And actually, earlier in in that chapter, Paul says, for I have learned... That in whatever state I'm in, to be content. And you know what? If Paul said that, you have to believe him. (laughs) Because Paul has been through a lot. (laughs) Right? He's been through a lot. And he said, for I have learned whatever state I'm in to be content. But how... How does he put the cap on it? How does he finish it out? For I can do all things through... Christ, who strengthens me. So in verse 11, I kind of talked about that, uh, lets us in on a little secret. For, for I have learned that in whatever state I am to be content. And the, the awesome thing about that is the word content means freedom from worry. Wow, that's good. It means freedom from anxiety. It means freedom from restlessness. It means independent of my external circumstances. So, like I said before, if Paul said it, it wasn't like he was writing this from his beachfront property, looking into the sun, feeling the warmth. He was in a stinky, painful, uncomfortable prison. And he said, for I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. Come on. 
So when it says independent of external circumstances, what does that mean? It means my external reality does not have the power to control my internal reality. Like I said, everything that you face has the power to shape your life. Everything that you face has the power to shape your life. But what will you allow to shape it? Because being content in whatever situation means that I have power over my internal reality no matter what is going on around me. We have the power through the fruit of self-control to manage our internal climate. So let's go back and talk a little bit about learning from lack. So Paul did not learn from lack. He did not learn from the pain. He learned from Christ's sufficiency in every one of his situations. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Why could Paul say I could do all things? Because it was through Christ. And here's the awesome thing. You're like, well, yeah, yeah, that sounds good to me. Like, but it doesn't seem like a reality to me. But this is what's so encouraging. What did Paul say? For I have learned, learned. He wasn't supernaturally empowered to do this. He learned, well, I guess you could say it was the work of the Holy Spirit, right? But he learned how to do it, meaning it was a process. Come on. How many of you guys are in a process? (laughs) So his revelation did not come from being abased. It came from his understanding of God's abundance in every situation. We know that all things work together for the good. Come on. So his kingdom revelation came from the abundance that he had in Christ, not the circumstances of being abased. So what are we allowing access to influence us? When you learn from the problem itself, your thinking will become cynical. I'm going to say that again. When you learn from the problem itself, your thinking will become cynical. How many of you, and everybody should raise their hand in this place. You don't have to, but have ever learned from the problem? And how many of you have learned it and you became a little cynical? (laughs) Don't trust them, right? No one knows what I'm talking about. I'm talking to someone else. So you begin to see the problem in everything because the lesson was in the problem. The lesson was in the pain. And if you learn from lack, you begin to see lack in every situation. If you learn from lack, guess what? You're going to see lack everywhere. Every good opportunity that God sends your way, you're going to see everything wrong with it. Because the lesson was in the lack, not in, his, not in his abundant mercy and his grace. If pain is what shapes your thinking, 
you will see pain in every opportunity. Hey, I'm talking to myself here. I'm preaching myself a sermon. So when you learn from God's abundance in the midst of the problem, you become hopeful. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? (laughs) I'm not, like I said, everything that we face has the power to shape us. That's a reality. But what do you want to teach you? Do you want the pain to teach you? Do you want the lack to teach you? Do you want the suffering to teach you? Actually, I would prefer his Holy Spirit to lead me in his good, abundance, grace, that having an assured expectation that all things, no matter what I face, he will work out for my good. And when you start looking at the world around you like that, guess what happens? You become hopeful. So the result is you begin to see the promise in everything. You begin to see a solution to every situation. I'm going to say that again. When you rely on what God can do in any situation, guess what starts happening? You begin to see solutions where you could not see them before. Why couldn't we see them before? Because we are looking at the problem. And that's all we could see. True, but not easy. (laughs) But I will say this. The Lord started showing me this about three, four years ago. I feel like I'm at the point now, and I'm not perfect with it. But when something happens, I say, well, God, what do you want to do? What's your plan here? What are are you looking to do? Because that's what I want to partner with. Because I want to kill someone right now. (laughs) Being a little facetious, but... Right? So the more you do it, the more confident you get in it. The more um, established you are in it because there is a history of doing it. So any situation, Bill Johnson said this, any situation that is without hope is under the influence of a lie. So do you have any situation in your life where there's no hope? It's probably under the influence of a lie. Guys, this, this can set you free. It really can. So the lesson to be learned is not in the lack, but in the abundance. If we believe that God's method of teaching us is through lack, through pain, through suffering, we will believe we need to remain in a place of lack to receive the lesson. I, got, I want you to hear that. again. If we believe it's coming from God, why fight it? Because if we believe God teaches us through lack, we're waiting for something to happen so he could teach us. But I don't think that's the way to learn. Now, and this was just a side note that I was thinking as I was going through this, but what is kind of the purpose of pain? Like there's a purpose for it, like in the natural, right? It's like I put my hand on the stove, I need to pull it off, right? 
So pain is just an indicator that something is wrong. Okay? So what does it tell you? I need to treat this, right? I need to tend to it. I need to remove it from the fire. So think about this. If I learn from pain, and pain is just an indicator that something is wrong, what is leading me? It's leading me in the wrong direction. Are you guys following me? Because pain tells us that something is wrong and it needs to be fixed. So if we learn from pain, what does that do? It keeps us in cycles of pain. Come on. Let that soak in a little bit, I guess. So I find a real disconnect between learning from lack and being adopted by a father that is abundant in all good things. I'm not suggesting that we won't experience difficult or painful situations. It's called life, people. That's what I tell my kids all the time. That's called life, my friend, (laughs) okay? All right, it's life. It happens. There will be pain. There will be difficult things. There will be hurtful things. I mean, I could go through the list, right? So I'm not suggesting that we won't. I'm not preaching a a gospel that if you get with Jesus, all your problems have gone away. All I'm saying is in the midst of the problem, you have a never ending well of resource that you have access to that you can partake of if you just lean in. Come on. So if we believe the lesson is in the problem, we will be on the lookout for problems rather than always being on the lookout for Christ in every situation. Like I said, if something happens, I I just stop and I say, what are you saying, Lord? And he'll speak to me and he'll speak to you. Sometimes he says, don't worry about it. Okay, what does that mean? Don't think about it anymore. (laughs) Sometimes that's just a good rule of thumb, guys. Don't even think about it. Actually, I've been sober for a week. Did you guys know that? I've been uh, um, a news sober. I've cut off the news for a whole week. (laughs) I've have sobriety for a week. You know what? It makes it a lot harder when you watch it (laughs) to have peace. All right. So are we allowing the kingdom of God to shape us or the problem? Let's say it again. Are we allowing the kingdom of God to shape us or the problem? So a lesson that pain likes to teach us is to not trust people. How many of you have ever learned that lesson? You hurt me. You hurt me. I can't trust you. And some of us get to the point is like, I can't trust anybody. Right? So pain would like to teach us that. But do you think that the kingdom lesson would be from his abundance of grace that leads us to forgiveness and strength? What do you think the kingdom is teaching us? That there is grace. There is mercy. There is forgiveness. A lesson that suffering likes to teach us 
is that it must be my fault that I'm experiencing this. But his abundance of love shows us that we have been called to abundant life that is free from condemnation. So was the kingdom life lesson in the suffering or the freedom to fully express the life promised to us in Christ? Just asking questions. A lesson that Lack likes to teach us is that you are responsible to meet all your needs by your own strength. But his abundant power within us teaches us that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So was the kingdom life lesson in the lack? Or was it in his exceeding abundance? What do you think the kingdom is teaching us? Come on. When we allow the problem, the pain, the offense to dominate our thinking, we are surrendering to it and giving it the power to shape us. Another Bill Johnson quote. Faith does not deny a problem's existence. It denies it a place of influence. So I'm not of the the thinking that faith is like, oh, nothing's happening. No, your car broke down. This is happening. There is something wrong, okay? Something is happening. So faith is not, oh, I deny that this is happening. I just give it, I deny it a place to influence my life. I deny it a place to say, I will become bitter about this. I will be on the lookout for a solution in this. Do I enjoy that it happened? No. (laughs) But what am I going to allow to shape my life? Matthew 14, 15. When it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place. Not, they don't have ice cream and stuff like that. It's just more, it's it's, it's a desert. All right, it's a deserted place. And the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Now, I didn't have it up there, but what happened right before this? Jesus healed the sick. I would say that's pretty miraculous, don't you think? So the disciples said, this is a deserted place, meaning it's a place where uh, there is a need, right, that cannot be met. Wow. That's what a deserted place is. There is no, there is no 7-Eleven open in this place at all. We got to find a Walmart somewhere. <laughs> so even though the disciple just witnessed supernatural healing, they said, this is a place that people's needs cannot be met. Whoa. Okay. So they said, send them away to meet their own need. But Jesus had another plan. Actually, I would say Jesus had a lesson to teach. So in another telling of this encounter, Jesus asked Philip a question. Where can, so Jesus is asking this. If you don't find the Bible funny at times, I think you're missing something. (laughs) So Jesus, he knows what he's going to do, but he says, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? (laughs) They just said it was a deserted place, right? 
And John 6, 6, John 6, 6. But this he said to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. <laughs> Philip reveals his understanding and says in John 6, 7, Philip rep- replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Even if we toiled for months on end, there is no way that we could feed these people. Now let's go to Matthew 14, 16 through 18. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go, go away. You give them something to eat. So the problem just got bigger. He's saying they don't need to go away. You give them something. Come on. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them to me. Bring them to me. Look at all what's happening in the world today. You know what Jesus says? Well, he first says, you feed them. Well, Lord, this is all I got. Well, give it to me. Are you guys seeing this? They don't need to go away. You feed them. And the problem is we don't have enough to feed them. We don't have enough sufficiency. Right? We don't have what it takes to do this. It could take months of hard work to get this done. Are you guys seeing this? Notice that this lesson in abundance is predicated on the disciples giving all that they had that was available to them. It's not like Jesus didn't know that they didn't have enough. But what does he say? Give it to me. What does Paul say? I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I know how to not experience lack. I know how to suffer need. I can do all things through, through, through. Not on your own strength, not on your own ability, but through Christ who strengthens him. So Jesus is saying, if you are willing to give me what you have, I will then multiply it. And there will be more than enough. And in the the end, there will be an abundance. Okay. Now I want you guys to think. In the situation that you're facing, give what you have to him. And you might say, well, this is all I have. That's fine. That's perfect. That's exactly what you need. You give it to him and allow him, right? You allow him to multiply it. And then through him, guess what happens? Something that was lack now has abundance. You guys know the rest of the story. So the solution to the situation was co-laboring with Christ. How can you co-labor with someone that you feel is doing it to you? Why even fight? Why even take your authority? 
Luke 5, 4 through 6. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Have you ever been there? (laughs) Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Would you call that abundant? (laughs) So Peter's first response is coming from a place of experience, which in this case is reality, right? It's reality. So like I said before, when we walk by faith, it's not like nothing bad is happening, blah, 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 blah. Don't think about it. It's saying, this is my reality, but then what does he say? Nevertheless, meaning just forget what I just said. (laughs) Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. See, faith is not to deny your present reality, but it's to partner with heaven's solution. Peter, in the same breath, he says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Notice in these two examples where kingdom abundance was demonstrated, there was a recognition and a submission to the authority of Jesus. What does that mean? When you're faced with these situations, say, Lord, what do you want to do? Because my ideas are real bad. (laughs) I make a lot of mess (laughs) that I'll probably have to clean up later. (laughs) So what do you want me to do? Come on. So out of those two scenarios, there was abundance because they submitted and they recognized the authority of Jesus. And when they have done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were breaking. Peter's introduction into the kingdom was demonstrated, was a demonstration of abundance. His first lesson was one of trust and an abundant harvest. Look at the life of Peter. His first lesson was in the natural, he experienced lack, but the lesson was in the abundance. So his previous reality was one of lack. And when he transitioned into the kingdom, it was through a revealed understanding of abundance. In Luke 5.11, so it ends with this, as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Come on. So it's, in, it's important that we challenge lessons that we have learned through pain, suffering, difficult, and lack. When we learn from pain, we keep the baggage of it. Wow. I want to say that again. When we learn from pain, we keep the baggage of it. So if we allow lack to be the lesson giver, we'll be afraid to be generous and choke out the sower. I'll say that again. <laughs> If we allow lack to teach us, when we have an opportunity to give, we're going to say, I don't have enough. I can't do this. But if we allow God and his abundant grace and his abundant mercy and his abundant nature to lead us, there will not be any situation that we cannot give what we have. Does this make sense? When we believe the lesson is in the lack, we will begin to have a distorted view of God. Remember what I started out with. 
knowing the true nature of God is so important because everything we do, everything we do, how we view the world, how we view the people around us, how we perceive ourselves, how we even view God is through that lens of his nature. So we'll, be, we'll believe things like, if we, if we learn from lack, we'll believe things like he'll remove his presence from us to teach us a lesson. Have you guys ever heard that one? He will remove his presence from us to teach us a lesson. Well, let's put it in this scenario. Let's say I got up here and said, you know what, guys, I want you to be closer to God. So I want you to stop praying. Don't pray. If your favorite worship song comes on, just turn it off. Just turn it off. Um, are you seeing where it would be crazy to say, hey, to experience more of God, just avoid him as much as possible. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, sing that, sing that one country song that you just love, right? Are you guys following me? Because that would be insane. But we say God removes his presence from us to teach us. And I think that there are reasons why we can experience uh, or feel a sense that his presence has left. There's reasons for that, which I definitely don't have time to go into, but I want to end with this. All right. John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. This is really important because if we believe that it's part of God's nature to teach us through stealing, killing, and destroying, we won't have any power to confront the enemy. Because we're basically, we're putting God's name on what the devil's doing. And why would you resist if you believe it's from God? So if these things are not from God, why do they happen? I think that's a good question, right? Well, one of the reasons why they happen is there is an enemy and he has a desire to steal, kill, and destroy. James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So what is it saying? It's saying to yield, to subject oneself, to obey, to, to another uh, definition, definition is to arrange in order. What does that mean? It's saying God's here and I'm over here, <laughs> right? It's to put it in the proper order. So the rest of the verse tells us that we've been given authority because we're under authority. Our authority only comes through submission, Many times we don't resist the devil because we put the blame on God. Why would you resist something that you believe that God is doing? What does Jesus say? You sinful, imperfect people. You guys know how to give good gifts to your children. What more will your heavenly father do for you? Come on. Again, John 10, 10. So let me ask you this. So Jesus calls the enemy a thief, right? So let's say I invite you over to my house and say you can take whatever you want. Could I then turn around and say, you're a thief? We're getting some type of feedback or something. I don't know. If, do you hear that? I'm going to end on this. Don't worry, guys. I just wanted to preach this because I feel like you need to hear the whole thing. So if I invited you over to the house and say, you could take whatever you want. I give you permission. I allow you to take whatever you want. And then when that person takes whatever they want, you can't turn around and call them a thief. Why? Because you gave them permission. What does Jesus call the enemy? He calls him a thief. So a lot of times we think, well, God is allowing this to happen in my life to teach me something. 
how can you call him a thief if you're allowing it? Are you guys following me? Do you see the contradiction? So why resist if you believe it's coming from God? In 1 John 3, it tells us that the son of man came to destroy the works of the devil. Scripture also declares that those who believe will do greater works than these. What works is it talking about? The works that destroy the works of the enemy, yeah. right? Destroy darkness, all right? All right. Luke 9, 5, Luke 9, 54 through 56. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, so basically what happened is Jesus goes into this town and they reject him. And then this is James and John's response. Lord, do you want us to command fire down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? That happened just like the Old Testament did? But he turned and rebuked them and he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And what did they do? They went to another village. (laughs) Right? And that word saved there is sozo. Some of you probably already know this, but it means saved, healed, and delivered. It's the complete package of salvation. Christ's salvation is not just for when we arrive on the other side of eternity. No, our salvation is for here and now. Complete salvation, spirit, soul, and body. Come on. Now, I don't believe everything is the work of the devil. Okay? So another reason why we experience these things if they're not from God. For one, there's an enemy, right? That desires to steal, kill, and destroy. The other thing is we live in an imperfect world because of sin. That's our sin and those around us. And things happen because it's imperfect. But in every situation, we have all sufficiency to do all things well, but it requires co-laboring. So some things happen in this world because it's imperfect. It happens. But what does Romans, I believe it's in Romans, but all things work together for who? For those who love him and called according to his purpose. So we are required to partner with heaven to bring heaven to earth. Yes, this world is dark, but God calls his heirs, his children, children of light, right? So the last thing is, Um, so there's an enemy, we live in an imperfect world, and then there's this thing called free will. All right? Your free will and other people's free will. So people have the power to do evil and hurtful things, right? Because they have free will. And I would also say this, we do dumb things (laughs) ourselves. Right? We make mistakes. You're like, "I, I don't have money to pay for this bill. Well, I see here that you um, ate 400 Twinkies this week (laughs) or you bought 500 coffees, right? So we do dumb things. We make dumb mistakes. Can you imagine if the prodigal son concluded that the mess that he made was God teaching him a lesson? He would have stayed in the pig pen. Would he have not? He says, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me your money. And I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to make a fool of myself. And he gets in a mess, right? There's a famine in the land. And 
he's eating pig food. So if he blamed God or he blamed his father, would he go back? And think about this. In every one of those cases, God showed abundance. He says, okay, I'll give you your inheritance. Have it. And when the son came back, what did he do? He ran. And they, they had a feast. So all this was through abundance he was teaching him. And then we hear things like, well, the Lord was teaching him a lesson. Yeah, the lesson was abundance. <laughs> so final thoughts. Our God is a God of abundance. When we walk with him, he leads us into abundance. Stealing, killing, and destroying is not a method in which he uses to teach us, his children. His name is written on a full, abundant life. True abundance is not the excess of possessions. It's a person that we follow. So I want to decree this over you. This is, I believe Paul wrote this. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I just speak that over you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just pray that even as I spoke today, I confronted faulty mindsets. And Lord, I just pray that uh, your spirit just begins to speak to those areas where there might even be confusion, where I didn't do a well enough job explaining it, Lord, I just pray that your spirit speaks to theirs. And I encourage you to partner with the Holy Spirit because I believe if you can get, if you can understand God's good, abundant nature, it will transform your life. It will transform the way that you look at yourself, the way that you look at others, the way that you look at the world around you. So, Lord, I just pray for your grace and your mercy to be poured out upon us. And we partner with what you're doing and saying in the house today. In Jesus' name, amen.